Hi, this is Arturis Karnishovas from Denver Nuggets, and you're listening to West Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate from San Diego, California. He is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkoharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? No complaining this week, Tommy. We had game number one of the vaunted three-game gauntlet to end the regular season on the schedule up first this week. And all the Pirates did was go on the road against hated Marquette for Marcus Howard Senior Day and take care of business. I mean, what is there not to be happy about? Last week, I asked if we could just for once get a Picasso, a start-to-finish performance in which everything clicked. Well, this game was nationally televised on Fox, and they played so well that they basically had the commentators in awe throughout the game. On top of that, after Sunday morning's action, the hall was provided an early March Madness gift from beloved rival St. John's. The Johnnies pulled away from Creighton on 63% shooting from three at Cornisecker Arena. Now the Pirates have a two-game lead in the standings over both Villanova and Creighton, making Wednesday night a chance to win the outright Big East regular season title for the first time since 1992-1993. But that is not the only big news this week for Pirate fans, Tommy. You know what is? I got to let everybody know that come Wednesday night, LCP is going to be in the building. (laughs) Tommy Chilkoharski himself will be in the building buying drinks at the Ice Lounge for all the listeners out there that want to come shake your hand. I mean, it's it's a monumental night for the podcast. It's a monumental night on senior day. I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm excited for you all at the same time, but I mean, you can't ask for a better stage to be flying from the West Coast back to the East Coast and landed in, you know, friendly confines of Newark, baby. You, you know, Mike, I, I said to myself a few weeks ago, there was no way I could take four years of Miles Powell playing for the Hall and not go in person and watch him play once. So, yes, I'm excited and I'm shocked absolutely shocked at the positive nature of your rant this morning i'm telling you i was waiting for some negativity i was just gonna pull the plug on you so this week on the podcast we review seton hall's big win at marquette we talk with Seton Hall sports editor Tyler Calvaruzzo about the upcoming senior day and the game against Nova. Also, we preview the game at Creighton. And finally, we take a look at the road to 2494. But first, 
Seton Hall 88, Marquette 79. The Marquette crowd was fired up on senior day, but Miles Powell and company quieted them down quickly. The Hall jumped out to a 20-10 lead and carried a 42-33 advantage to half on 15 points and 4 assists from Miles Powell. A 15-3 run by the Pirates to start the second half pushed the lead to 21. Seton Hall then controlled play for most of the second half until a furious Marquette push cut the deficit to five with 34 seconds left to play. But it just wasn't enough as the Hall hung on for their 13th conference victory. All right, Tommy, here's the stat sheet on this one. Superman was back in the building. Miles Powell, 28 points, five assists, nine of 22 from the field, and he found his stroke from three, five of 13 from deep. Sandro, Mamu, Kelishvili, career high, 26 points, nine rebounds, three assists, 10 of 13 from the floor, and a perfect three of three from deep. Quentin McKnight, eight assists, and on the other side of the floor, on his senior day, Marcus Howard, 37 points to lead the Golden Eagles, and he also dished out four assists. On the team stats side of things, Seton Hall shot 53% from the floor, 50% from three on 13 of 26, had 23 assists versus only six turnovers, and maybe their only blemish on the day was they got out-rebounded by Marquette, 42 to 29, and did give up another 16 offensive rebounds. You know, Mike, I don't want to be the guy who pulls out the the trick from the bag like a lot of these announcers do, but it seems like this year we've really come ready to play at those big marquee matchups. I mean, we came out at Nova, we punched them right in the mouth. We came out here at Marquette, and everything about this game was lining up to be one of those bad losses. We won last week, but we didn't really play at the high level that we wanted to see. It's senior night for Marcus Howard. The The crowd was frenzied. The crowd was big. But we just came out and played well. Tommy, Tommy, wasn't this supposed to be a spicy matchup? That's all I kept on hearing, you know? This, the fans are going to get riled up. And I'll give them credit. You know, Marquette is a decent team. Their fans were pumped up. But we've said this. Seton Hall is on a different level this year when it comes to their ability to play and match up against a team like Marquette. I mean, Marcus Howard definitely got his, but the rest of the supporting cast totally struggled. And, and this was one of those few times that we actually got to see Marcus Howard play play a big game like this. I mean, we've seen him get his points, but in the past few games, he's got his points in different ways, mostly from the foul line or on kind of nights where he wasn't effective or efficient. But, he, oh man, he looked good on Saturday. I'm going to say this. I am not a fan of Kevin Willard's in the huddle segments, typically. But this game, I was absolutely spot on with him in agreement in that first half in the huddle segment. Kevin's like, let him score his. If Howard's the only one who's going to be shooting – we're going to win this game by 20. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, he's right. He's right. Sh shut down everybody else. Let Howard do his thing. We got this game. And, and that's the way that the game basically played itself out. Mike, let me ask you a really simple question, I think. Did they just play the best game they've played all season from start here, to here, finish here? Here, here, here comes me being negative. Uh, they did 
for 36 minutes and 12 seconds, Tommy. <laughs> but but they were dominant, dominant for that opening stretch and that second half run that kind of you know bolstered the lead. But once again, just got to tighten things up a little bit in the home stretch. I, I didn't feel like they were going to lose the game, but there was real, no reason for that to be a five-point game with 34 seconds of play. It just should have never been that close when we had a 15 to 24 point lead for much of the second half. You you would think things would come back to the norm. Marquette was going to start making shots at some point. We were going to miss some. I, but I remember watching it at one point. Marquette went on a 10-0 run, but it wasn't like one of those 10-0 runs where we're not getting good shots or we're not getting good possessions completely. I mean, there were a few shots. There was a there was a a, a drive that Miles it, it just rimmed out. There was another shot that kind of spun around the the rim, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, they went on a 10-0 run, but we're still good. And 30 seconds after that, boom, we hit a three and we're back up big time. Yeah, it was. They got it down to 12, and then Miles hits a three pointer to put it up to 17. And they went to a commercial timeout, and you could almost feel like the air come out of the building. They just always had an answer in this game. And let, let's focus on Miles, right? Miles was back to being Superman. He went toe-to-toe with Howard in this game. And more importantly, I think he found his three-point stroke. Well, he hit that first shot, and I just said to myself, oh, there's that man again, Mama. There he comes. I mean, he started looking good. You know what? The threes were coming in the flow again. We keep talking about this. He wasn't forcing shots. He was taking it to the hole when he had to. He looked good. There, there was a couple that I thought he rushed, and maybe a couple were outside of that. Do I really need to take it from 28 feet type range? But if Miles is going to shoot 5 or 13 or in that 40% range, and he does the other things that he did on a given night, uh, or if he continues to do the things he did outside of scoring the basketball like he did on this particular night, I have no issues. And, and that's where I want to kind of wrap up with Miles' analysis for how well he played and why I thought, even though Howard had – the 37 points, Miles basically outperformed him in this effort, believe it or not. In the first half, he had four assists to go along with 15 points, and Howard didn't have any assists for his 17. Miles played, in my opinion, his best lead guard of the entire season. Don't you agree? He did. He did. But, Mike, I'm going to give you an early birthday present. Are you ready for this? Go ahead and hit me with it. Sandro, baby, had a career Damn, boy, did he look good. You're going to give me the present? He earned it. You, you, there's no way you could avoid this segment on today's podcast. It was coming. It's going to hit you in the face. I'm going to slap you around with it a little bit. It, it, this is it. This is the game I've been waiting for. But you know, more, you know you're going to point to his three for three from deep. I was more impressed with how he took it to the hole strong. He was finishing. He was He was doing a little bit of everything out there. It was beautiful. Tommy, he had his career high of 26, and it wasn't against Sacred Heart. Okay? <laughs> they talked about it. Brando brought it up. What, what I liked about it is that he set the tone in the first five minutes of the game. He had the opening possession where he drove to the basket hard, and he, and he finished with that strong lefty layup. He got the N1 that gave uh, Howard his first foul. He was just aggressive. He, was, he, he put back an offensive rebound on a Powell miss shot. He was doing all the different things that you want him see, uh, you want to see him do based on his skill set and in the second half he kind of opened it up he was using his right hand he was using his left hand he was hitting the fadeaway in the lane 
hit all three of his three-pointers. He looked like, I'm going to say it, he looked like a pro prospect. Oh, 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 my goodness. There's the prisoner of the moment. The only thing disappointing I had with Mamu's game was there was no ode to Angel double bicep flex after a couple of those and ones. I would have loved to see it as opposed to the Sandro shrug. Yeah, he, went, he went a whole game without shrugging. Is, is that true? No, did, no, did no. There it? was a shrug or two after a foul call here or there. But, that's, uh... I, but I'm, I'm going to let it I'm going to let it slide, though. All right, Mike, you know, I did say I wasn't going to let you go negative, but I'm sure there's a few things we can point out here. All right, so here's here's sour grapes and gripes for uh, this week's episode. Down the stretch to let Marquette kind of get back into it slightly, we did miss three consecutive one-on-ones. Yeah, like, which, is, which is shocking with how well the team has shot free throws this year. I mean... You know, even the bigs. I mean, look at look at Rowe. I mean, Rowe, I think, is under 70% for the season, but he's he's pretty trustworthy from the line. I feel good when he's out there. He's got good he's got a good rhythm. And they shot well from the free throw line in this game, but you can't miss all three because it, it kind of snowballs, and that's what happened here. So you're in a situation where you're up by, you know, 15. All of a sudden, that's like three defensive stops, you know, with no time coming off the clock. That that's huge. You just can't have that happen, and, and it did. And that's kind of why Marquette had that opportunity to kind of cut it to five. And what really bothered me about that stretch, it wasn't kind of how, how they played defensively there. It was who scored for Marquette. You don't like them. You don't like Theo John. I don't like Sakar and him. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that I don't really like, and he basically went on a little mini 10-0 run himself. Also, they got out-rebounded on, on the offensive glass, 14-5 to five again, and they got out-rebounded in the game by a minus 13. Is this something that is continuing to cause concern for you? Well, obviously it's not good. And I'm actually shocked at that number because it seemed like every time we had a shot miss, it seemed like one of the bigs was tapping it out backwards. But I guess it just didn't, I guess it just looked that way. But in a game where basically we led by double digits and we basically ran the game, we, we, we ran it from clock to clock here with a lead. Yes, could, it's not good, but eh. like if you only play devil's advocate, you can sit there and say if you're shooting 53%, there's not going to be as many shots to rebound offensively yourself. I just want to keep the opposing team off the offensive glass as much as basically we've seen lately. Because if you're in a tight game in the NCAA tournament, to give a team multiple second chance opportunities on a night where you're not scoring the ball well, that could be a recipe for disaster. All right, I got, I got one more sour grape and gripe. This is kind of like my crusade, like your crusade was Torian Thompson last year. But to me, Anthony Nelson, in my opinion, has kind of reached Torian Thompson level. Am I being too extreme? No, but you know Willard's substitution patterns we've complained about all year. I mean, we've had full-on blowouts where we haven't seen Torian, we haven't seen Darnell Brody, we haven't seen Avent, even though he's just a walk-on. But there are opportunities for these guys to go out there and get your 90 seconds of burn. You know, in this game, what has been the story on Anthony Nelson? The story on Anthony Nelson this season is, is that he doesn't play defense well. Well, you know, he was going to have to guard Marcus Howard, which is not a good matchup for good defenders. Forget about a defender that's struggling. Personally, 
Marcus Howard scored 37 points on Q and Shavar. Was it going to be that much worse <laughs> if you put in Anthony Nelson for three minutes? I, I'm, I'm thinking you're hurting a kid more than you're helping him at this point. But, Mike, I'm just going to counter your sour grapes and gripes with one positive that we didn't talk enough about. We got six turnovers this game, Mike. And let me even put it into a bigger context. One of them was a Miles Powell offensive foul. And another one, I believe, was Quincy McKnight stealing the ball on a pass and then stepping out of bounds because his momentum took him out. Uh, so another technically, one. Another, one, uh, another, one, another, another one was Sandro with the offensive interference. You, you could make the argument there was only three turnovers. That's that's crazy. That's phenomenal. I mean, that that's as good a game as you can get. And let's not miss the opportunity to say, good job, Coach Willard. You got this team ready. They came out and played the way they should. Oh, so, so now you agree that him calling out the team is having the right impact now? No, no, not at all. He obviously pulled some sort of strings this week in practice to get them prepped. Was it because we had a bye week and everybody kind of got a chance to rest up and get themselves mentally prepared for it? Maybe. You know, when did spring break start? They didn't have to focus on classes. They could really just kind of refresh themselves. So, hey, you know, whatever he did, good job there. But, no, I don't agree with that. <laughs> a lot of positives to take away. Uh, Tyree Samuel didn't get any run in this game. But as you mentioned to me, he didn't practice this week because he tweaked an ankle late in the St. John's game. So here's an opportunity to, get, once again, get a win, play good basketball, rest up a guy who's kind of, you know, nursing an injury. I, everything kind of just lined up really well here. And not only did Kevin possibly say the right things, you got to listen to what they said behind the mic in the, did they really say that segment this week? Steve Lavin takes the cake in the pregame. I mean, I love this guy. He's just got his, like, he's got a certain little quirky uh, lines he likes to go to. And, and they're new every time Lavin this time in the pregame says Seton Hall's front line is like a variety pack of potato chips. And I'm sitting there laughing my ass off. <laughs> and, but but then he continues and he goes, Obiagu can come in and give you some physicality and five fouls. Who's Bobby, he, Rasheed Anthony all of a sudden? That, that's what I was That's what I was saying to myself. I'm like, wow, here's the guy in all the write-ups at the beginning of the season. We're like, he's going to come in and he's going to replace Mike Enzi and be the rim protector. And the, uh, the irony is we keep on joking about, we thought Roe was going to be five fouls two years ago. And now he's possibly defensive player of the year, most improved player. But you got Lavin on the telecast saying that Ike, your prized transfer recruit, is a five fouls physical body in the middle. Ah! You know, I've continued to say that I like Timmy Brando, and in most respects I do. But I got to say, enough with the alliteration, Timmy. You know, he's done the McKnight in the McDay. And this time... You know, a Sakar Nim goes in and he puts one down and he goes, Sakar, Sakan. And I'm just like, oh, Timmy, enough already. Come on, you're better than that. Yeah, you just got to come up with new material. He's all about the rim is unkind. The rim is kind. I, it's just give me some new material already. Yeah, Gus kind of gets like that. I don't know why we're picking on all these announcers, but yeah, mix it up a little bit. That's all. Come up with some new stuff. A comedian doesn't go up on stage and give you the same routine over and over again. They, get you, they give you new material. All right. Speaking of new material, Mike, 
the boys came up with a lot of material this game for us to say whoa did you see that and i'm gonna let you pick one or two and i'm gonna see where i went because i know i yelled out a couple times during this game i you know i'm, I'm not in love with anything in particular but there were some cool plays i really liked the press break where all five guys got a chance to touch it and it barely hit the floor ending with the Jared Roden alley-oop to Ike. Yeah, that, I, that made me scream out. I yelled out with that. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that was that was a no look from Jared on that one. Yeah, I thought he was going to pull it back out. And then all of a sudden, boom, he put it up in the air and Ike was at the rim and that, that, was, that was all she wrote. This one, I went back and watched it a second time through. Miles Powell drove in from the left-hand side and did one of those like right-handed scoop shots where he extends like the underhand flip but he gets fouled, it looked like. I don't think they called it. But it basically hits the very top of the backboard. I mean, I mean the very, like, white stripe at the ver- at the top and then decides to go in. It was crazy. I've never seen a ball hit that high up on the backboard and then kind of drop almost like 90 degrees straight down. Yeah, that was a crazy-looking shot. That's not what my second scream was all about. Marcus Howard was driving. He put a little floater up. And Ike just got up so high and just blocked the shot out to the wing. It was it was it was a, one of those moments where I said, "Oh, that's why we think this guy's going to be big time." What's with you and the monster blocks and and the hammer dunks? Can't you have a little creativity in this segment and just oh, look for something that steps outside the box? What are you talking about? That is the creativity there. When you take impressive athletic play and add power to it, that's all you can do is scream out loud. Well, my vote's going to go for the team effort on this one. I, I like the chemistry. It kind of culminates what happened in this entire game. So I'm going to vote for play number one, the road and alley-oop to Ike where everybody got involved. I'll second that. So, Mike, coming up on Wednesday night, senior night, Villanova with the chance to clinch the first Big East title for the Seton Hall Pirates since 1992-93. And who better to bring out here than our good friend Tyler Calvaruzzo from the Setonian. Please welcome from West Palm Beach on (laughs) spring break, Tyler Calvaruzzo. Tyler, how are you feeling this morning? I'm good, guys. I'm glad to be on the podcast with you again. Uh, I'm not sure there's some uh, little lack of truth in that statement there. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, Tyler. Thank you. All right. Before we get into talking about Miles Powell, Quincy McKnight, and Romaro Gill on their senior day, I want to focus on another senior who will be participating in their last home game at the Rock. Since you will be graduating as well, and, and congrats, by the way, this will Thank be your you. final game covering the Pirates at the Rock for the Setonian. What has this experience meant to you? It's been surreal being able to cover this team the last three years. You know, honestly, I came into the school at a perfect time when you really think about it. You know, I got here the year after they won the Big East tournament. And ever since then, you know, Coach Willard has just been churning out 20-win team after 20-win team. And, you know, just being able to cover this team and such a great group of guys, you know, there's really not a bad apple in the bunch. It's been a real pleasure just being able to cover the Pirates the last three years I've been on the beat. And I'll definitely miss it as a student. Once it's gone, I'm going to look back at it and I'm going to reflect positively. You know, there's been nothing but great experiences out of this for me. Yeah, you actually had the reverse experience. I rolled in in the 92-93 season with Terry DeHare and the crew, and uh, we thought the good times were just going to keep rolling. So good for you, man. 
The only thing that, you know, I haven't really experienced yet, and I think we're going to experience it this year, is the second weekend of the tournament. You know, I went out to Jacksonville last year and, you know, obviously won and done. So that was disappointing. But I think that's not going to be the case this year. I think we'll have a second weekend to enjoy. You know, with this being a special season for the Pirates, the school has appropriately stepped up its promotional coverage of the team. Tell us what it's been like to have the students pull off their own version of college game day at Walsh prior to the St. John's game. Yeah, that was a great atmosphere. I had the chance to uh, talk to the two students who hosted Rich Behan and Matt Wodzinski. I'm friends with them. And now that they said it was a great experience for them. It was, like I said before, you know, covering this team has been surreal. Doing that for them was a surreal experience. Just being the host that college game day type feel, have on guests like Mike Enzi, John Fanta. Like, it was just a great experience. And it shows how far, you know, this school has come. Just, it really is a basketball school now, you know? Everyone embraces it. It's unreal the way things have turned out. Just from a student perspective, you know, everyone's all in. Everyone's supporting the team. You see it with how many students are out at the games. Student media is all in. We're doing everything we can to give everyone the best coverage possible. So, yeah, I mean, it's just – it's been unreal the way things have ramped up this year in terms of just on the student end of things. Well, it's always a good time when you get John Fanta involved, so that sounds like yeah. it was a lot. Yeah, All right, it was speaking, great for those guys. Speaking of special events, Wednesday night is the final home game for arguably one of the greatest Pirates of all time. Should the fans be coming out to witness a potential jersey retiring for number 13? If it's not sold out, I'd be pretty disappointed in the fan base. I haven't been on social media much this break, but I think Jerry alluded to it yesterday. This team, Miles, all the seniors, you know, they, they deserve a full sellout for that last senior night. They deserve a full sellout for that send-off. So just, I think everyone needs to be out there in full force. I don't think there should be an excuse. This is the last time you're going to see Miles play at the Pru. The last time you're going to see Q play at the Pru. The last time you're going to see Roe play at the Pru. And it's going to be Isaiah Vents last time at the Pru too. So this group deserves the proper send-off. And anything less would be, I think, extremely disappointing out of this fan base. Will Seton Hall go the extra mile and raise that jersey to the rafters? What do you think? And that's tough because, you know, obviously Terry Deer, that's, you know, program legend territory and Miles is there. But if I had to predict, I would say no. I think Miles gets his own day maybe next season or the year after that. I, I don't think it's going to happen at halftime. But if it does, I would love that. I, that'd be amazing. That'd be great for Miles, great for the program, great for all the fans in attendance. So, yeah, it's something I don't think will happen. But if it does, you know, it's something you enjoy. And I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you. So sticking with the theme of fans coming out to see something special, I mean, Mike kind of alluded to it and you relatively answered to it, but from our vantage point, it was pretty amazing that they drew their third largest crowd ever at the Rock for the St. John's game this past Sunday, you know, with 14 plus thousand people in attendance. Now, I know uh, some of that had to be some Johnny fans coming across the river, but I'm finding it kind of strange right now How could this team, with Senior Night, with potentially a top 10 ranking, playing Nova, playing for the conference title, not have 18K sitting in there at the Rock? It's something that I don't understand, to be honest with you. You know, we've been hearing the same, well, not excuses, but the same reasons ever since the Prudential Center opened, you know, location, you know, travel there. People just don't want to come out for whatever reason, I'll never understand it. Maybe I have a different perspective as a student being so close to the Prudential Center, 
like the location doesn't bother me or anything like that. If there's ever a time to have 18K in the pro, like you just alluded to, it's this. I mean, you got senior night and Big East title on the line. You know, you got to win this game and you need the fans out there in full support. So, yeah, I, I, I just don't understand why it's not at 18K right now. I don't understand why it's not sold out right now. I don't think I ever will. So will the students be back from spring break by the game time? No, we actually no one's no one's gonna be back. We're not back until next week. So you'll have a little bit lighter of a student section. But I know a lot of people who are making the trip to the game just because of the magnitude of it, and it's gonna be their final time seeing this senior class play. You know what's funny? You made mention that location of the rock is causing issues, man. People are forgetting getting out to the Meadowlands was no fun, man. You know those little highways out there that that was not a good place to play either. Yeah, because I'm from Jersey, so when I was younger, I used to go to a lot of New Jersey Nets games up in the Meadowlands, and it was a tough venture from where I'm from. And I've been to the Meadowlands since I got to see you know just going to MetLife, going to Giants games, Jets games, and whatnot. And it is a pain in the butt to get up there. So, you know, I guess location is something that just got in this program with all of their arenas. Well, to me, honest, I always thought that there was going to be another aspect of the rock that allowed fans to get there. You know, there was public transportation to downtown Newark. You didn't have public transportation to the Meadowlands. You had to hop in a car and get there. The, the students had to be bussed into the stadium. I would have thought that all the fans that were stuck in the city could hop on the train, end up in Newark, and catch an 8.30 start that everyone's always complaining about. I don't – I just don't get it. Neither do I. And to be honest with you, I mean, I thought something along the same lines when they moved over to the Prudential Center just because it seems like there's more of a convenience factor with public transportation and all that. But, hey, for whatever reason, people – it clearly just hasn't mattered. All right, Tyler. So Tom and I keep on talking about some of our sour grapes as to when we came into the program <laughs> as fans. And he's, he's already mentioned it. Fortunately for you, this is to be the fourth time in four years that you've seen Seton Hall participate in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but fans like, like Tom will go back to the mid to late 90s. We've endured long stretches of mediocrity over the years. Now, does the student body truly understand what they are experiencing relative to the historical context? of Seton Hall basketball? Yes and no. Yes, I think the upperclassmen, myself included, have been spoiled. So it's like, oh, we're going to the tournament again? That's that's what the expectation is. But, you know, the underclassmen, they, they get here and it's kind of the same thing. Like, oh, we're going to the tournament again? All right, that's what it is. That's what I've walked into. But, you know, there are recent graduates and things of that nature who just, you know, they understand the history. And, you know, this isn't – sometimes this hasn't been a perennial – tournament program you know it's been a long climb back to that point with Willard leading the charge so I think some students understand that you know where this program was at one point under Bobby Gonzalez and where it is now you know that journey some students understand that. I think the upperclassmen understand that more just because they've been around the tip program longer and they probably understand the history a little bit longer but the younger kids, you know, all they know is the Willard era. They know Isaiah Whitehead. They know Angel. They know Kadeem, Desi, all those guys. They don't know the Jordan Theodores of the world. They don't know the Fuquan Edwins of the world who had to fight, scratch, and claw, just, you know, fight for tournament first every year and sometimes come up short. So some know, some don't. I think that's the best way to answer it. You mean they don't know what it feels like to have a tournament berth right in front of them and lose by yeah. 28 <laughs> at DePaul on the final game of the regular season? Yeah, no, oh, they man. don't know. They don't know. They don't know. 
Yeah, I think the students would explode if that happened to this group. I think we, I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's go back to the current campus vibe because as any Seton Hall season, it's had its ups and downs. Tommy and I call it the roller coaster ride of emotions. So there's all this expectation. They probably expect the team to go back to the tournament and have a great year. We get off to a slow start. How has been that vibe on campus as we go through the ups and downs? Throughout, it's been pretty electric, as I kind of said before. You know, just everyone's all in. But when we had those two losses to Creighton and uh, Providence, you know, everyone's acting like the sky was falling. That's just that's, that's the nature of the student body and everyone on campus. They're thinking, oh, crap, here we go. But this team has turned it around. Everyone has bought back in. You know, we had a good crowd, obviously, at the St. John's game. I wasn't there for Butler, but I heard the student section was pretty packed. So, clearly, you know, people are all in with this team. They understand – how special this group is and the potential that they have to make a deep run. And everyone wants to be a part of that. Everyone wants to experience it. And everyone's just, everyone's a fan, you know, everyone knows what's going on. There aren't many people on campus who aren't really familiar with what's taking place. I want to go back to one specific moment in the season, which I think people are going to look back and continuously call the launching point for when the team kind of got things figured out. And that's the Maryland game and the fans mm -hmm and students really did show up in that moment. So that was kind of surprising for me as things were kind of on the downswing, the student body really stepped up to support the team in that game. You know what makes that even more impressive is we were on winter break. A lot of people were gone and we still had a lot of students out there. So I think that's a testament to where the students are at in terms of caring about the team. You know, to have that much of a turnout when you have a lot of kids on break, it's just, it was, it was impressive. And, you know, going into that game, like you said, people had every reason to not show up. You take the loss at Iowa State, you get embarrassed at Rutgers. You know, that rubbed a lot of students the wrong way. That was like, oh, man, we lost like that to Rutgers. But, yeah, that says a lot about the students and how much they care, I would say. Well, let's talk about senior night a little <laughs> bit. Nova's coming in. It was obviously not a small task for the Pirates to end the 26-year drought in Philadelphia earlier this year. So what's it going to take for the Pirates to knock out Nova a second time this season? I think you pretty much have to replicate what you did on the road at Nova earlier this year. You know, a guy like Sadiq Bey is going to get his. The key is limiting a guy like Colin Gillespie. And Q and Trevor did an excellent job of that on the road, and that's a big reason why they won. I believe Colin had, like, I want to say 11 or 13 in that game. You know, he just wasn't able to do what he normally does against Seton Hall. He plays very well against the Pirates typically. And in that game, that production from him offensively just was not there. So I think the key starts with limiting Gillespie. And, you know, offensively, I mean, hey, if you could turn it in a performance like you did yesterday against Marquette, you're on your way. But, you know, that's not a reasonable expectation every game. You just got to take what's given. You know, Miles is probably going to have the ball in his hands a lot as always, and he's going to, you're going to try to fill it up on his senior night, and I, I expect him to do so. So I expect some offensive fireworks. I think that will be enough. I, I'm going to go on record and say I think we do complete this sweep. I think this is the year they finally get it. And it's a really tough task, but I think this group can do it. Well, Tyler, I, I kind of agree with you because Colin Gillespie recently has been struggling. Going into the Providence game, he was 5 for 29 from the field, and he didn't have much of a, a bounce-back game. He was a – five for 14 against Providence in their loss at home the other day, but there's kind of a similar parallel, right? So speaking of guys that have recently struggled, it's just kind of mind blowing to me how Miles Powell has been struggling 
with his ability to shoot at the rock this year. I mean, is this something that he's going to be able to kind of turn around? It looks like he might have broken out a little bit uh, the other day, five for 12 from three, but he was shooting 16% from three over his last four games at the rock. I mean, at this point, like you have to assume maybe it's a mental thing with him. You know, maybe he puts more pressure on himself at home and it takes a toll on him and his shot suffers as a result. I think he knows this is his last time playing at the Prancer Center. He knows it's his last time playing in front of these fans who he goes out of his way to praise, you know, post game every other game. I think, I think he'll find a shot against Nova. You know, it might take him a little bit as it has sometimes this season, but I think he's going to be locked in more so than we've seen him in a long time. I think this is the game where he finds his stroke and he just lights it up. Maybe not as much as he did against Michigan State, but I think he'll have a pretty prolific game. I know a lot of attention, and rightfully so, is going to be surrounding Miles on Wednesday night, but he won't be the only senior celebrating that night. Quincy McKnight and Romaro Gill have been two huge contributors to this program's success this year. Did you expect either of these guys to contribute anywhere close to the level that they're performing at when it was announced they were joining the program as transfers three years ago? Starting with Q, you know, we got Q and you look at a guy who filled it up at Sacred Heart averaging like 19 a game and Q has come to Seton Hall and he's this defensive stopper. And, you know, so I don't think anyone was really expecting that, but after seeing Q last year and just the way he played, the tenacity on defense, I expected him to be as good as he is now going into his senior year. But, I mean, as for Rowe, how far he has come in his development is a testament to Grant Bill Meyer, Kevin Willard, everyone on the coaching staff. He gets to Seton Hall as this raw junior college guy. You know, you can't teach tall. He's 7'2". They taught him everything else. His footwork has improved. His shot, I mean, shot blocking has always been there, but it just seems like his timing has improved with his blocks. Defensively, he's been great. Laterally, quickness-wise, he's improved a lot. Just the development that has gone on with those two guys. So I wouldn't say I would have expected them to be where they're at right now when they first got to Seton Hall, but, I mean, the, how far they've come is incredible. Both are in a running from some serious Big East hardware this year, and, you know, while Kevin and his staff normally don't speak outwardly on these types of subjects, where is it that people feel that they should finish in the conference award voting this year? Well, with Miles and Marcus Howard, that's such a tight race for conference player of the year. And that could go either way. I don't think anyone would be upset if Miles doesn't win because they understand what kind of a player Marcus Howard is. But it'd be great to see Miles get that as a senior, you know, going out with that award. As for Q and Rowe, I think it's a battle between them for the Big East Defensive Player of the Year at this point. So you're, I think you're going to have a pirate get it. You know, there's there's also an argument that could be made for Creighton's Tyshawn Alexander, who's an excellent defender. You know, you saw it when Creighton played Seton Hall at the Prancer Center. He did an excellent job on Miles Powell. So I think one of Q or Rowe will get Defensive Player of the Year. And I think Big East Player of the Year, obviously a toss-up between Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. I wouldn't be shocked if either of them get it, whichever way it goes. I also think we're going to see Rowe possibly be most improved player of the year. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right? Definitely. And, and I think Q should probably be on a, a second or third all Big East team as well, to be honest. I agree. You know, it's been said time and time again. I've been saying it for a long time that when people look back at this team, you know, 10, 15 years from now, I don't think they're going to understand the impact of Quincy McKnight and the importance of Quincy McKnight. What he brings to the table on and off the court, I don't think you can put into words how important it is for this team. 
you know, just his intensity, his emotion, his leadership. It's just, it's a, he has all these great qualities and they don't translate to the box score, but anyone who knows Seton Hall basketball, anyone who follows the team understands what Quincy McKnight means. And for him to put together this kind of season where we're discussing him as an all Big East player, that says a lot about what he really is about as a player. All right, Tyler. So for those fans who don't know, we had you on the show to do our season ending recap episode last year. And there was a segment in which we talked about the expectations of the fan base. You stated at the time there was a split down the middle with those who were like content with making the tournament and, and being relevant on a national level versus others that still cling to the idea of that final four dream. You know, what is the pulse or where is the pulse and expectation of the fan base at this very moment relative to this specific roster as the calendar turns towards March? It's at the very minimum sweet 16 or bust. I think if you lose in the first weekend of the tournament, it's something that people aren't going to be happy about with this roster, with a guy like Miles Powell, with a team that seems like it's honestly built perfectly with guys at every position who feed off each other perfectly. I think second weekend has to be the expectation. No more, oh, we made the tournament, that's cool. No more, we got a good draw, that's nice. You need to make the Sweet 16 with this group to have a pleased fan base. The minimum Sweet 16. Now, you mentioned draw, Tyler. While there's still a lot of basketball to be played in these last two weeks, where do you think Seton Hall has put themselves in terms of a strong tournament seating at this point? I think right now they're comfortably on the three line. I think that's a good place to have them at, three seed in Albany. But, you know, there's a real possibility here. Let's just, you know, play the hypothetical game for a second. You have a team, you know, that could potentially, you know, maybe win out the rest of the year. That's been thrown around as a possibility. You never know what could happen. You know, you beat Villanova, you beat Creighton, then you run through the Big East tournament. That would put them in a position for a very high seed, maybe a two or, you know, people have thrown around the idea of a one. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's been something that's mentioned. I think at the end of the day, I think they land on the three line in Albany. I think that's the perfect place for them. I think that's the place they're going to end up. That would be a very good draw for them. All right, Tyler, I'm going to tease you. You don't think that's going to happen because the other teams ahead of them are not going to give them the opportunity to move up to a one or a two where you don't see them running the table in this in these last two games and the Big East tournament? Combination of both. Just because on Seton Hall's end, you got to go to Creighton and play them you know, on the last day of the regular season. So that's a game you know, I can see as a real challenge. And the Big East tournament, man, anything can happen. You guys know that. I don't have to tell you. They could – Losing in the first round, they could go all the way. You just don't know. And with the teams in front of them, you know, I'm sure there are going to be some teams with uh, more name recognition that will receive higher seeds. I'm not going to go into specific programs. Duke. Um, well, they lost <laughs> twice this week, Tyler. They lost twice this week. Duke's behind us now. They're in a yeah, rearview mirror right now. Who cares? They'll probably drop one spot and still get a two seed. You know how this goes. You guys know how this works. You, 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 beat, see, uh, you beat me to the punch, Tyler. I was about to say we're not going to get that seating because we're Seton Hall. That's why. That just seems like the way it goes. I don't know if you guys saw uh, John Fanta's blind resume segment. That was good. That was, that was great. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that segment alone says everything about Duke's resume in a program like Duke. So there are programs ahead of us that will probably prevent us from moving up, but I just don't think we're going to run the table. I think we're going to take an L at some point. I don't know when it's going to come, but I think three is where we're going to stay. And Seton Hall fans shouldn't really have an issue with that. I think three is a very good spot for this team, considering some of the past draws we've got. I mean, 
I, I think if we get the three and it ends up in the East region where you have the Albany Madison Square Garden path, I don't think anybody cares whether it's a two or a three at that point. No. Um, I think if it's a three and they get shipped out West, I think Tommy and I might be happy. We might get to see a couple games, but yeah. I think <laughs> I think overall, I think that would be a disappointment. Yeah, I think uh, three in the East is the ideal thing. And, you know, I know there's concern with Duke being a two. Having to take them on in the garden, that's tough because it's how well their fans travel and whatnot. So I know there is a level of concern with that. But I think three in the East is exactly where you want to be if you can't get into the two line. And as you said, you know, if you're a two or three in the East, it doesn't really matter. You're in the East and you have that Albany MSG path. So that's all. That's that's the prize at the end of the day. All right, Tyler, you alluded to it, but we're going to put you on the spot. Give us a prediction for senior night. I think they're going to take it for sure. I think uh, I'm pretty confident in this one. I'm I'm confident more so in this game than I was yesterday, to be honest with you guys. I, I wasn't really sure about the Marquette game going out there on Marcus Howard senior today. I was kind of expecting a loss, to be completely honest, but I'm really confident with this game. I don't know. I just I wrote it in my recap when I was at Villanova. If there was ever a team that was going to make history and beat Villanova on the road, it's this one. And if there's ever going to be a team that sweeps Villanova and, you know, gets the win on their senior night, it's going to be this team. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thinking it's going to be a close game. You know, we're not running Villanova out of the water. That's just not how it goes. But it will be a close game. I think three to five point win. I think I'm comfortable saying that. You've been listening to us. If not now, when? That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Tyler, Thank you so much for coming on to the show, especially waking up early while you're on (laughs) spring break. Congratulations one more time on your upcoming graduation. We've loved having you, and hopefully we can have you on when you're in the real world. Definitely. Well, you guys know I love to join you guys whenever you want me. So thank you for having me on again. Thank you for the congratulations, and I look forward to talking to you guys in the future. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us, Tyler. Hang in there the next couple days, all right? (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) Tyler Calvaruso, everybody. Well, Tommy, Tyler gave us his prediction for Nova. Now I'm going to give you the precision and breakdown of where we really sit in the national landscape for the ranking in the tournament seed line. I know you hate this segment of the podcast. It's not your thing, but I'm going to make a believer out of you yet. This is the best time of college basketball to sit back and watch the entire gamut of games that are out there within the top 25. We're not a bubble team this year. Normally I'm sitting there rooting for the teams on the bubble to burst. So we get in, but this is still fun. And we're talking about the two seeds, the three seeds, or or watching the game of St. John's play Creighton this morning to see if we can get the Big East title with this game against Villanova as an outright champion. That's fun stuff. Get on board, Tommy. Come on. Mike, it's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't care where we're going to be ranked. But this stuff, like I said last week, it's too volatile at this point. I want to finish up the year, win the Big East, and then worry where everything else sits. A lot of this stuff ends up being name recognition, Mike. Like Duke. You know Duke's going to be in the top 10 uh, by the end of the week. Uh, Come on. What are you talking about? I'm going to chop that theory to pieces if you give me a couple minutes, right? Go ahead. Uh, of course. You got three minutes. All right, let's start with the AP poll. I'm sorry, but this is exciting. This is another week another week of carnage in the top 25. 18 teams, Tommy, lost last week if they had a number next to their name, and another 19 times a top 25 team went down again this week. And the teams ahead of the Pirates went down this time. You got Baylor losing at TCU. Florida State lost at Clemson. 
even though they did beat Louisville. Duke lost twice. Twice! Maryland lost to Michigan State. Creighton loses to St. John's. I already mentioned that Louisville lost to Florida State. And Villanova loses at home to Providence. Tommy, we're, we're going to jump into the top 10. Whether you like it or not, I'm predicting that we're going to be eight. Some people want to say that we're seven. I don't put us that far ahead of Florida State yet. I think they're going to be one slot ahead of us. We ended the 92-93 season sixth, and we are going to be sitting in the eighth spot come Monday. That is the second highest position for a Seton Hall team in the AP poll ever, and you don't want to get excited about it? I'll be excited about when I see it, Mike. You, you want me to be excited? Give me that spot at the end of the season. Give me that spot at the end of the Big East tournament as we're rolling into the, the NCAAs. They don't right give now, top I'm 25 not rankings about it. At, They don't give top 25 rankings at Mina Dam at that point in the season. It's all about the selection committee after the Big East tournament's over. So let's talk about that because it's exciting to still think that we could possibly get a two-line. And I'm tired of basically listening to everybody get all worked up over the net evaluation system. Yes, obviously it's flawed, but so was the RPI system. So is Ken Pomeroy. You know, we, we understand that they're all different types of metrics and they are several different metrics that the committee will use. And it's not like Seton Hall has a bad net. And the net is also used to determine all these quad one wins we have. I mean, it, it just kind of feels a little two-faced. Let's face it. Even though they are true row wins, St. John's, Georgetown, and St. Louis are not blockbuster wins, but they are in the quad one category right now. Are they not? Currently, sure. Right. Okay. And, and they could fluctuate. They could drop in. They could drop out because they're in that, like, you know, 70 to 75 range. I'm not getting excited because we beat a Georgetown team that has six players. And people are trying to sit here and compare our resume to others just because we have all these quad one wins. Let's just look at the overall resume together. And, and that's why we need to stop complaining about Duke. Duke has lost three out of their last four. They now have six losses. They are not ahead of Seton Hall at this point. Don't give, oh, the chairman in the room is from Duke and, oh, they got a reputation. You put our resume side by side. I don't care about the net. And the committee just decides to make an evaluation. Duke will be behind Seton Hall if things ended today. They just would. Currently, Seton Hall's bracketology accurately falls in the two to three seed line range. They're still behind Kansas, Gonzaga, Baylor, and San Diego State. And as well, they're probably still behind Dayton. Five teams. I don't think they can make up ground on that group. I'm also tired of hearing all the people that go, oh, it's not fair. San Diego State plays in the Mountain West Conference. And if they would have played in the Big East, they would have lost at least five games by now. But they haven't. They beat Creighton by 30. They beat Iowa. They won uh, at BYU. They beat Utah State twice. They've beaten good teams, and they played who's ever on their schedule in front of them and only have one loss. We have seven. People got to get off their high horse of, well, if they were in the Big East, we would be ahead of them, so we got to penalize them for being a one-loss team. But I definitely think we're in the mix and slightly ahead of the following teams. Villanova, Creighton, Kentucky, Maryland, Florida State, Louisville. But we're all jumbled up. I think we're kind of just ahead of them right now. But that's what makes these next two games 
so much fun because there's still a lot riding on them. No, no, that's not what makes these two games so much fun. These games are so much fun because you're playing the two other best teams in the Big East Conference for the Big East title. You beat Nova, you win the title. You go out to Creighton, you ruin their senior night, you send them home, and that's what's fun. We lose to these two teams, Mike, and none of this garbage that you talked about for the last eight minutes matters. Now, now who sounds like a fanboy? Now who sounds like a fanboy? None of I this matters if you don't win these games. Winning the games matters, Mike. So I All your mathematical gymnastics, nonsense. These two games are very difficult. Let's not sugarcoat it. Absolutely. If they were to come... If they were to come away with a split of these two games, there's nothing to be ashamed of, especially because one win gets you the Big East title. I also think one loss in these next two games does not hurt where they kind of play out. You keep on going, oh, who cares about all these top 25 losses? It makes a difference because in the last two weeks, everybody that was in that four to five seed line that possibly could have jumped up to steal a three away from us has fallen off the face of the earth. If you go through the top 25, everybody that is in that four to five range now has nine, 10, 11 losses. So I don't care what they do in their last couple of games. As long as we don't collapse and lose the next two and bow out in the first round of the Big East tournament, we're solidified, in my opinion, into that three seed. Now we're just playing with house money to see how high we can move up. You know, you mentioned one of these two games. We talked about Nova already. We're going on to Creighton. We're going into Omaha. It's going to be their senior night. They're going to be hostile. And I'll tell you what, before they lost to this St. John's team, they were one of the hottest teams in the Big East right then. They absolutely were. They were winners out of nine of their last 11. During that stretch, they won at Nova, at Seton Hall, at Marquette, all ranked in the top 25. And right after that stretch, they destroyed Butler, who was ranked 21st at the time, 81 to 59. And it wasn't even that close. We mentioned it on the last podcast that at one point, the score of that game was 70 to 35. I mean, Creighton was clicking on all cylinders leading into the St. John's game, which is what makes it so surprising that they lost. But they are still 22 and seven overall, 11 and five in Big East play. They wore 10th in the polls, eighth in the net, and tied for second in the Big East standings with Villanova. And they're projected to be a three seed in most bracketology. They are a good team. Well, Mike, you know, they also have really good players. Now, we all knew that Tyshawn Alexander was going to be big. But Marcus Zegarovsky's come back from his injury. I know his hand was all banged up last year, so he wasn't playing up the snuff. Like, he's played like an all Big East point guard, Mike. He has. I just wish I could have the edit of this podcast because how you pronounce his name drives me nuts. I'm sorry that you can't pronounce his name, Mike. Us Polish kids got to stick together. Here's another guy that I've been really impressed with, uh, not only against Seton Hall, but in watching some of their other games. Denzel Mahoney has been a difference maker off their bench as their sixth man. He's averaging almost 12 points a game since becoming eligible 19 games ago. They shoot 38.5% from three as a team, which includes the three-headed backcourt all shooting above 40% or better highlighted by Mitch Ballack at almost 45%. So kind of put that into context. We lost that first game to them, and Mitch Ballack didn't score. 
you know, they shoot well, they pass well, they play such a beautiful style. They play such a beautiful style. They've got beat writers like praising them. I mean, their beat writer from Omaha, John Niatawa, came on our show and later on, half a week later, he's pinging us with a tweet saying, hey guys, here's the play I was trying to describe. I mean, he, they're that excited about this team. Well, they should be. I mean, especially when they play at home. 15-1 so far on the season, and their only loss coming in the hands of Villanova back on January 7th in a tight one, 64-59. I mean, let, let's go back and kind of just recap quickly what happened in that first Seton Hall matchup. Seton Hall surrendered their season-worst 88 points in that game. Like you said, they were clicking on all cylinders, but it wasn't like they blew us out of the building. That came down to the final minutes of the game where Miles lost focus on defense coming out of the timeout. But it was a one-point game up until that, that sequence with like, like a minute and 13 to go. What I thought was interesting is I went back and kind of researched some of the statistics as to how Creighton shot in that game. They shot 46% from the field. And then I also went back and looked it up, and Seton Hall is 0-5 on the season when an opponent shoots – 46% or better. So it's not necessarily about can we outgun them? We just need to play our game defensively. Well, you know, there's a whole lot to like about Creighton on paper right now. Let's say everyone's playing at their best. Do you think Seton Hall can go to Omaha on the final day of the regular season and avenge their earlier loss? We walked into Nova and we smacked them down. We walked into Marquette and we slapped them around. We can walk into Omaha and use our strengths and beat them. But you know what, Mike? I'm going to tell you this. I think it's going to be a cream game because I think we win on Wednesday night at senior night. We close down the home stretch and win the Big East title at home. Personally, I'm predicting they're raising Miles Powell's 13 up into the rafters that night, and we're going to party like it's 1999. Tommy, if not now, when? Right? That's what I'm talking when about. When is now, Mike? Tommy? When is now, Tommy? It's now. And you know what? I think we go on that road. And speaking right. of going on the road, Mikey, let's talk oh, about the road to 2494. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make a pact in the offseason to just work on these segues. That's all I gotta say. With only one game on tap this week and another 28 points through the net, Powell is now up to 2223 points trailing Nick the Quick Workman by an even 50 points. Tommy Miles could officially move into second place all time by the end of this next week if he duplicates what he did against Marquette. But, 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 I'm going to dream bigger. I'm going to dream bigger. I'm going to get back on that horse one more time. I mean, we were coming off of a couple sloppy games. We were coming off of a two-game losing streak. I didn't think 11 games maximum left in the season was possible but I'm back on that horse. 11 games maximum, Big East tournament title, cutting down the nets in Atlanta, 24.6 points per game. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. The Pirates are playing at a high level again. If, if they can continue this momentum, maybe they do play 11 more games. I'll say this. It's probable that Miles has that second spot on the all-time scorers list, like you mentioned, by the time the next podcast comes out. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to put out a, the Nick Workman interview that we recorded a few weeks ago 
out on its own later this week. It's going to stand by himself. Nick DeQuick was a phenomenal scorer, and everybody needs to remember that his point total is in three years. His freshman year point totals don't count. And just to honor him and just to honor that record, we're going to put out his interview with us on its own. Are you sure you want to do that? I mean, we're already going to be celebrating the Big East title. People are going to be drinking and partying. You think they're going to have time to stop to listen to Nick's interview? Everybody should have time to listen to a Seton Hall great like this. Well, Mike, we got two big games. I've given you my thoughts. What do you think we do? Please don't Mikey mush us. But give me what you think happens. I'm riding high. I, I've been feeling good this entire podcast. I I don't want the euphoria to end. Like, give me more of the drugs that we're feeling. Oh, I think they win both. I mean, you're flying back, Tommy. You're flying. How do they not win? You're flying back. You're in the building. I, I think there's going to be a lot of people in the building. I don't know if they raise his number to the rafters on Wednesday night. But it is a special moment, and I think this is a special season. And I think the basketball gods do not look down upon Seton Hall and, and give them any ill will on this particular night. I think Miles Powell goes out with a bang. I think he figures out whatever bugaboo has been kind of holding back his shot at the Rock. I think they sweep Nova. I think, hey, are we, are we allowed to rush the court? We're, we're going to be in the top <laughs> ten. Are, are no, we allowed to we rush the court if we court. win the title? Yeah, yeah. You, you, act like you the... were there. No, we don't rush to court. Well, act like you've been there. They haven't won the Big East title in almost thirty years. If Nova, act was, like if there. Nova was the first, if was Nova was ranked first or something like that, I say rush to court. No, you I, win it, you move on. I said you rush to court just to rub it into those guys. Oh, they, guys <laughs> they got a classy coach. You know that. All right, all right. So I, I honestly do think that Wednesday night's going to be a special night. I think they're going to continue to carry that momentum into Creighton. I just hope it's not a letdown, right? You you can have this mammoth performance on Wednesday night and the euphoria of kind of reaching the pinnacle of one of their big goals that they had targeted throughout the entire season. You could see a little bit of a letdown at Creighton at that point. You just could, right? So I think Nova, they win. I think Creighton, it's still going to mean a lot to them as well. It's their senior night. I, I'm, I'm going to go 50-50 on the Creighton game, but I'm excited. I'm pumped up. That was the Picasso that I've been dreaming of. That showed me the team clicking on all cylinders. They're going to play a game in the NCAA tournament where you're like, ah, I'm, I'm concerned about this team. And if they play like that, they can beat anybody in the field this year. They, they really could. So I, I'm excited, Tommy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for two wins, even though I'm a little bit cautious on the Creighton game. I'm going to be a little bit jealous because you're going to be sipping the bubbly over there at the Rock. And then hopefully when we come back, we're doing another fun podcast on the weekend. And as we always say, go Big Blue. Go Pirates. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Marcus Toniel, Lavelle Sanders, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkaharski, I am Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 